In 1 Kings 17, beginning with verse 7. Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called. And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. I want to pause right there, church. Because every so often I come back to this portion of Holy Scripture. And I am always moved at those words. That there is someone who feels like they have no place else to turn. That they have no source for help. No one that loves them enough that will help provide for them. And so they're planning to go prepare their last meal for her and her son. Now we don't know this woman. We don't know what her personality's like. If she's maybe a little bit on the negative side, if she is kind of a woe is me sort of person. And so without knowing that, I can only take it as I read it that this is someone who is at a stage that is absolutely desperate. And yet this is the person that God told Elijah to go and see. Go and see this person. This person who has absolutely nothing. Elijah doesn't realize at the time he gets those instructions. But go see this person, Elijah. This person who has absolutely nothing. And she's going to be the one that's going to provide for you. And so we read on. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. It was God who told Elijah to go and pronounce that curse on the land, that he would go and announce that a drought was coming. And so now it is Elijah 
that speaks hope into the life of this woman who says, the Lord is not going to let it happen. Now imagine, church, that you're in this woman's shoes and so you think, well, okay. And you go home and you prepare from what little you're seeing, what small amount of provisions you're looking at with your eyes. And you're thinking, wow, and he wants me to make him a loaf of bread first? It would be easy for someone to say, wouldn't it? Oh, the nerve of this guy. But he's made a promise that he says comes from the Lord. And so I can just imagine meal after meal after meal looking at that small amount of provisions and there's enough. And then the next day there's enough. And the next day there's enough. Nothing runs dry. Nothing runs out. And she knows each day until the rain falls on the land that it's there. And it's one of those things that we have to say, it's a God thing, right church? It's a God thing, pure and simple. I talked about this not that many weeks ago, but it's worth mentioning again because over the last couple of weeks, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people in this body and many conversations outside of this body with people in the community. And them kind of bearing witness to what God has done in their life. Or other ministers in town who bear witness of what God has done in their ministry. And they say, you know, it has to be a God thing. Just yesterday, looking at the bank statement that came from local bank in town and looking at the balance in the, our faith-based recovery coalition. We use those funds to send people into long-term faith-based, Christ-based rehab. And I just marveled at how that account has never run dry. That even coming through a global pandemic where we were not able to go to area churches or go out here to the city parking lot like we've done once or twice before. Not able to pass the hat, so to speak, and ask people to make contributions. But there are churches, this one included, who recently made a gift. There are, uh, there are people in the community that know what we're up to and just want to be a part of it. And so whether they give $50 or $100 or $500, but it never runs dry. And so tomorrow night at 6 o'clock when we meet, I as the treasurer make that report to the group and say, you know, we sent two more people into a long-term one-year treatment facility last month and yet now we have more money than we did last month. Considerably more money. Why? Because God provides and God is good.
And we know we are doing something that he has led us to do. It wasn't as simple as turning on a switch and saying, okay, this is what it's going to look like. No, we, we struggled to find our way for a while. It was a lot of prayer, a lot of searching for how is this, how can we best serve this community? And then we finally figured out what that looks like. But you see, church, it takes a willingness to serve. This woman, this widow at Zarephath, as we know her, was willing to serve. Even in the face of doubt, even in the face of provisions for bread and water, as meager a meal as that is, even in the face of that, and that only, she still had enough faith that allowed her to serve. One of the most majestic creatures in God's creation is the tiger. And researchers kind of marveled for a long time about how the tiger got its prey. Lions, if you've ever watched any of the animal shows that are on TV, used to be Discovery Channel would show animals all the time. And we would learn that that lions kind of hunted in a pack. The pride, as it's called, the, the adult lions would go out together and they would hunt together. And so they would sort of gang up on their prey. And they would go after it for sometimes for hours and just wear their prey down. Tigers, on the other hand, hunt alone. And so researchers wondered, what is it that allows them to be so successful hunting alone and winning over their prey? And so... It turned out that uh, some research scientists from a communication research center in North Carolina some years ago discovered why a tiger is likely to freeze their prey to the spot when a tiger is ready to attack and charge. And so what would happen is the tiger lets out this, what they call a chilling roar. And they would measure the number of decimals decibels at at what at the tiger's roar and then uh, and so what would happen is their prey instead of running would freeze it would be paralyzed at the sound of this roar and then here comes the flash of those bright colors of the tiger that those orange and black stripes kind of coming at you and it further freezes the prey for just a second. And so then by the time the prey realizes what is happening, comes to its senses and say, you know, it'd be a good idea if I didn't stand right here with that thing coming at me. By the time the prey realizes that, it's too late. Because the big cat is just too fast. And at that point, it's just too close. At church, I tell that story, or I use that example this morning. Because in those moments where we have an opportunity to serve, we often become paralyzed. 
And yes, I think sometimes we become paralyzed with fear. I think that there are ways that God calls people to serve in His kingdom where people just say, Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I can't do that. No, no, that's not for me. And church, i got to tell you, I know what that's like. Because I used to say, Oh, mission work, foreign places. Man, all I speak is English. Alright, no, no, mission work in a foreign place. Yesterday, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, my phone rings. It's a video call from Fernando Romero in Honduras. And so I answer the phone and I say, Hola! And Fernando smiles because he knows that's about all the Spanish I know. <laughs> He's like, yeah, he worked on it for a while. And then he stopped. And, you know. and sometimes Fernando will send me messages in Spanish. I say, Fernando, it's going to take me a while to translate this. He said, that's why you need to learn Spanish. Yeah, he, he busts me pretty hard. He's, he's getting more confident. He's getting kind of big for his britches. And I appreciate that. Because I have a Spanish-speaking brother in Christ down in Central America who's going to bust my chops and hold me accountable. That I can do more. That I will be more effective on my return if I can speak at least some of the local language. And so, yeah, that's on my list of things to do is to get back to learning Spanish. I worked on it for a long months and months. I worked on it every day. And so I got to get back to that. But there was a time, church, when I said, that's not for me. But now I, I look and I say, God called and I, I served. I used to say, I'm so grateful that there are people that will work with addicts. I've never walked the path of an addict. I told my mom that I spend about four or five hours a week now doing addiction counseling. And she said, how can you do that? You've never been an addict. My own mother, <laughs> doubting me. Right? Moms do that sometimes, don't they? It's like, I raised you, kid. You don't know how to do that. And I say, but mom, it's amazing. It's amazing what God equips us to do if we're just willing to serve in that capacity. And church, i got to tell you that even when they were going through the training out at Blondie for people who were going to be counselors when the Hope Center opened in January... I didn't go. I said, you know, I got enough on my plate. I got enough on my plate. I'm just, I'm not going to do that. There are enough other people that are going to be involved in that and they're going to do that. But apparently not. Because then one day I got a call and I couldn't say no. I thought about it. I kind of tried. Bible study? Once a week at 7 o'clock in the morning? Okay, let me explain something to you. (laughs) There are lots of guys that get up before dawn. I'm not among them. But you know what? I'm there every Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock. 
And it is one of the most blessed, one of the most spirit-drenched hours of my week. Because I'm looking at the faces of men who are eager, eager to understand God in a more meaningful way. And so, church, we need to be people who don't allow ourselves to be gripped with paralysis, to be gripped with some kind of fear, who allow ourselves to listen to the voice, because it's not a voice that comes from God, a voice that says, oh, you can't do that. Because if all we ever did, think about your life, if all you ever did, if all you ever set out to do was stuff that you had an education in, was stuff that you knew how to do, how much stuff would have never gotten done? It's no different with serving in a church. It's no different than in serving in God's kingdom. You feel called. Someone asks you to serve. And you step out with a courage that only God provides. And God will equip you for what He is calling you to do. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, from the living, New Living Translation. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. I'm going to read that again. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago God wants us to do good things church he planned for it long ago but he gives us free will he gives us free will to say no that's not for me but he has a way of pursuing us Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And so, paraphrasing... God gave the elders, the preachers, the deacons. Why? Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. The full and complete 
standard of Christ. We might ask ourselves, now what does that look like? Well, let's turn to John 13. section of Holy Scripture that you all know well, I have no doubt. Jesus is with the twelve in the upper room. They have participated in the Passover meal. And Jesus is about to spend a good bit of time, we figure out in John's Gospel, probably hours into the evening, imparting His wisdom on the twelve in that upper room. But before He does all that, we see that in verse 12 of John 13, what Jesus does, when He had finished washing their feet, He put on His clothes and returned to His place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So church right there, if we want to see the full nature of Christ... And what that looks like for us to reach that maturity, it means that we're willing to wash feet. Verse 16, Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Jesus is saying right there, very plainly, you want to be blessed... Go serve. You want to be blessed, go do something that you might never have imagined yourself doing. Because what was Jesus doing in that upper room? He was washing dirty feet, right? Something no one in that room ever would have imagined their teacher, their master, the man that some hours later would become their Savior, they would have never imagined Him doing that act that, as we know, is reserved typically in a household for a slave, typically a Gentile slave. Even Jewish slaves would not have been asked to carry out such a lowly act. It bothered Peter enough that we know that when he gets to Peter, Peter rejects him. Says, no, you're not going to do this. And Jesus very plainly says, if I don't do this, you can have no part with me. My paraphrasing says, brother, that's a deal breaker. You have to let me do this. You have to let me serve you in this way. Because you need to be on the receiving end of me doing this lowly act. And so what Jesus is doing there, church, is sending a very clear 
message to us that no one is too good for anything. No one in God's kingdom is too good for anything. And that sometimes we have to get our hands dirty. Sometimes we have to get our hands dirty cleaning up after a meal, sticking around a little later. Yeah, the convenient thing to do is to grab your dish and scoot out the door, but sometimes we've got to stick around, make a little sacrifice, and get our hands dirty cleaning up, and not just leaving it for someone else. Sometimes we get our hands dirty when they call a work day at the church building on a Saturday morning. We get up, we put on our grungy clothes, and we go up and we serve for maybe an hour or two. Whether it's the work that's needed inside or the work that's needed outside. Sometimes serving may come in some way completely unassociated with this body of believers. It may be an old friend from high school who went through a fire Lost everything. And so then you make contact with that person. And you go. And you serve them in the name of Jesus. Maybe it's a person in your family. Maybe a distant relative. Maybe not. Who's having a tough time. And so you make financial sacrifices to help provide for them. And church, you know what life looks like. You know how unfair life can be. Sometimes we're on the receiving end of the unfairness of a fallen and broken world. And sometimes we're the people who might have just a little bit extra who can go and give that to someone else. Because it's not doing any good sitting in our bank account. Because God calls us to be people who give. God calls us to be people who are generous. God calls us to be people who serve others. In the many, many forms in which that might look. Jesus spoke in parables. He taught in parables. And a parable that couldn't really decide this week if I had shared this with this body or not. I had certainly read it before. But in this parable, a man spoke with the Lord about heaven and hell. And the Lord says, I will show you hell, said the Lord. And they went into a room which had a large pot of stew in the middle. The smell was delicious, and around the pot sat people who were famished and desperate. All were holding spoons with very long handles, which reached the pot, but because the handles of the spoons were longer than their arms, it was impossible to get the stew into their mouths. The suffering was terrible. 
Now I will show you heaven, said the Lord. And they went into an identical room. There was a similar pot of stew, and the people had the same identical spoons. But they were well nourished. They were talking. They were happy. At first the man did not understand. He looked at the Lord with a puzzled look. And the Lord said, you see, it's simple. They have learned to feed each other. Church, for some people who have no one to help feed them, life for them at times can seem like hell. And God calls us to go and to help feed them. I want to conclude our time this morning with 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God Himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to Him forever and ever. Amen.